1 Corinthians chapter 1, let's read two verses to begin, verse 23 and 24 from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 from the English Standard Version. But we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are the called, there's actually what's called a definite article, the called ones, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So we want to look at this, uh, at this phrase this morning, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. You usually think of the gospel, uh, by gospel I mean, of course, the fact that Christ died for our sins and rose the third day and went to the right hand of the Father. We usually think of these gospel events as an expression of the love of God. We know John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Here Paul brings out that the gospel is an expression of the power of God and the wisdom of God. And I want us to focus in on that this morning. When he's writing 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he starts out, uh, first, uh, the church at Corinth was a large church, something of a strategic church, and uh, they had some problems, and one of those was they were divided there was a lot of fussing uh, about, they had different preachers who would come through. Uh, you'll find, for example, in chapter 1, verse 12, he says, uh, each of you, he says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. Another group said, I, well, we just follow Christ. We don't follow anybody. Well, here, uh, they, they were divided and Paul is writing to them, and he's basically beginning by saying, don't divide up into the messengers of the gospel. Because it's not, the power of God is not in the messengers, it's in the message. It's not in who preaches it, but in the person preached, even Christ. So he's in order to help them unify around the gospel, he brings in uh, these ideas that the gospel is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Uh, and he quotes, if you look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Look in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing... But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 19. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. Um, when I was looking at that, I thought, what's the connection between 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18... And verse 19. What's the connection here? He says, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are saved is the power of God. For it is written. Written where? 
and he's quoting from Isaiah 29.14. Let me tell you what Isaiah 29 is about. In Isaiah 29, they are surrounded by the Assyrians. Now, the Assyrians were uh, ancient equivalent of ISIS. They were terrorists. And they would, they would capture a city, cut off the men's heads, and make a pyramid in the front, just in the front building, just to scare everybody. I mean, they were the original terrorists. And they had surrounded Jerusalem under a man, under leadership of a man named Sennacherib. So in Isaiah 29, uh, which Paul quotes in verse 19 here, he says, God says, I'm going to destroy the wisdom of the wise. Because the way you get out of a situation like that is you, you bring up your shrewd officials, your, your wise men, and they go and they talk with the enemy and try to trade gold or, or they try to go to another nation and try to get them on their side. So you, but you bring up your, your smartest strategists and you entrust them. God said, I'm going, here you are surrounded by the Assyrians. I'm going to destroy the wisdom of the wise. I'll deliver you. And the, what, the way God did it is, uh, they woke up one morning, this is in Isaiah uh, 37, they woke up one morning and looked out and the entire army of the Assyrians was dead. An angel had come in the middle of the night and killed every, 185,000 soldiers in the Assyrian army. God bypassed every effort, every person every general, every strategist and strategy within Israel and delivered them totally without them doing one thing except sleep during the night. They were asleep when God's deliverance came. So they did nothing to help advance their own deliverance. Now what God says the gospel is is that it is like the deliverance in which God bypasses the wisdom of men and doesn't and the wisdom of men does not add one iota of help to the gospel. And that's the way he saves us. When we come to God through Jesus Christ, we come saying, God, I am not coming to barter, to offer, to give you anything. I am here only to receive from you. That's the way the sinner has to come to God through Christ. We don't, we don't have anything to offer. Besides that, God's so rich, he wouldn't need what we had anyway. So that's the way that we come through to God through the gospel. Now, when he says here that he is the power of God, let's, let's look again at verse 23 and 24. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are the called, the called, Jews or Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Let's take those two phrases for just a moment. First, how is Christ and the gospel an illustration 
of the power of God. How, how do we see the power of God? If, if I were to say, what is the one big illustration of God's power? We might think of creation itself. I mean, that's a lot of power displayed in creating the universe, the galaxies, the sun, the moon, the stars. What power must be behind that? But remember that that was created out of nothing. Now, that's power. Uh, everything that I, I make, for example, I, I don't build a lot. I know some of y'all can build stuff. I, I remember building a chicken coop in my backyard. Um, and it still stands to this day, <laughs> I might add. But I didn't create it. I just took materials that were already in existence, assimilated them, and put them together. God didn't have anything to work with. He created out of nothing. So that is power. If it come to us, we couldn't create a single grain of corn. We couldn't create a blade of grass out of nothing. So we would say creation is an expression of the power of God. But how is the gospel different? The gospel is the expression of the power of God because it not only creates out of nothing, but it creates out of the opposite. It's one thing for God to create life, as in Genesis 1. But in the, in the gospel, in the New Testament, God creates life out of death. <laughs> you see, that's the biggest expression of the power of God, is God took Jesus in his death and raised him from the dead. Not just out of nothing, but out of its opposite. See, he takes the sinner, an enemy of God, and makes him not only a believer and a worshiper, but the very son of God himself. That's the opposite. So when, when God takes our sinfulness and moves us in the direction of holiness or when he takes our defeat and moves us in the direction of victory, that is the power of God. And it's greater than creation in the Old Testament. The new creation illustrates the power of God greater than the old creation because it brings it out of the opposite. If you uh, were watching a football game and you saw a guy running for the goal line and here goes a guy after him, and he chases him down and catches him. Well, that'd be, that'd be good. But wouldn't it be greater power if a guy's coming toward you with the football, and you're standing your ground, and then you hit him, and not only stop him, but you pick him up with the ball and take him the opposite direction over your goal line. Now, that's power. 
I want that guy on my team. It reminds me of that joke I heard. This uh, uh, coach was telling his uh, guy who goes out and was looking for uh, new football team members. He said, I want you to uh, go and look at a guy who every time that he gets hit, he gets up again. They, they throw another guy at him. And, and this guy gets hit and he gets up again too. And he, he gets hit again and he gets up again too. And he said, uh, uh, Coach, is that the guy that gets up every time he gets hit? That's the guy you want on our team? And he said, no, I want you to get the guy who's doing the hitting. <laughs> That's the guy I want on my team. And so that is the expression of power. He can take you the opposite direction in which you're going. That's New Testament power. Now, then he says, the wisdom of God in verse 24. He says, the Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. How is the wisdom of God seen in the gospel? Well, the wisdom of God is seen in that he, as, as with the power of God, he takes a thing and doesn't toss it aside, but actually captures it and uses it to make it do what Satan intended it to not do. For example, he wanted the woman to tempt man into sin, and here, Adam, take this fruit. And God said to Satan, the seed of the woman, you use the woman, now the seed of the woman is going to crush your head. So we have the virgin birth. And he said, you use the man, representing humanity, Adam, to introduce death into humanity. By Adam's sin, and death came in through that sin. Well, here's what 1 Corinthians 15, 21 says. As by a man came death, so by a man has come resurrection of the dead. Just as Satan was able to maneuver man into sin and death, so God now uses man, the new man, Christ Jesus, to bring life and resurrection. You see how God has brought his wisdom to bear to make the very thing Satan used to take the tool Satan used, the instrument and channel Satan used, turn it around and make that very channel the instrument by which he would do the opposite. It's like David comes against Goliath. Y'all know this story. 1 Samuel 17. And in 1 Samuel 17, verse 45, it says, David said to Goliath, You come to me with a sword and a spear. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. David didn't bring a sword. Goliath did. Talk about uh, bringing a knife to a gunfight. David didn't bring in the one. He came in the name of the Lord. And here's what he said in 1 Samuel 17 This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. I will strike you down and cut off your head. Now how's he going to cut off his head? He has no sword. Because it says that, 1 Samuel 17, 50, there was no sword in the hand of David. So how's he going to cut off his head? 
Well, it says David hit, hit him with the, uh, the slingshot and stone, and Goliath fell. Now, that evidently didn't kill him, because it says, 1 Samuel 17, 51, David ran up, stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath, and killed him with it. Then he cut off his head, and the Philistine saw it and ran. So David ran up, took the instrument with which he was threatened, took it away from him, and cut his head off with it. Now that's what God has done in the gospel. He's come through Christ to Satan, and he said, you're going to use death on us? You're going to use a man? You're going to use a woman to dishonor heaven and blaspheme the Father's name? I'm going to take a man, I'm going to take a woman, I'm going to take death, I'm going to bundle it all up in the gospel and use every tool you've used against me, against you, to defeat you and embarrass you and humiliate you. That's what God has done in the gospel. It's not only the power of God, it's His brilliance, it's His sheer divine infinite genius that He has designed not only to save us, but to display his power and wisdom. God's not just after our salvation. He's after an illustration of his power and wisdom. And that's what we have in the gospel. It is so amazing that 1 Peter 1.12 says, The prophets ministered things which are now reported to you through the gospel, and these things angels desire to look into. They can observe it from a distance, but angels want to study it because they see things that are displayed in the invisible realm and it's like angels are like, wow, what wisdom, what power. They're not, they're not so impressed with God's love as because they already knew God loved people. But what is amazing to them is God, in His absolute brilliance, has put together a plan that takes the very tool of the enemy away from Him and uses it against Him. So they are so impressed, they want to study the gospel. And that's what we ought to be like. We ought to say, you know, I know there's more than what I can see. And I want to just jump into the gospel like that. I want to see the details and the nuances of it, the divine wisdom in it. That's what the angels are like. And let me just add this. The wisdom of God, which brings success, is seen in the fact that when God is done through the gospel, he will actually produce a humanity that is greater and more blessed than before the fall ever happened. God's going to elevate us into a status and position that is a greater position than before Adam ever sinned. And I want to give you three I think there's more, but I'm going to give you three illustrations of this. Uh, Can we pull these up here? Three, 
Christians now better off than before Adam's sin. I know you think, well, we're better off than after Adam's sin. Now we're better off through Christ. But before he sinned, here's the wisdom of God. Now look at this. It's seen in the fact that Adam was perfect when he was created. But he was mortal. He was mortal. What do I mean by that? I mean, he could die. He could be killed. Now, he wouldn't wouldn't die if he didn't sin. But he could be killed. He wouldn't age. uh, And I, I don't think he would... I don't think he could like fall out of a tree or something. I think he would heal. But he was mortal. He could die. And the proof is what? (laughs) He did die. After he sinned, took him a thousand years, but he died. He was created perfect, but mortal. Now in the gospel and in the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15.53 says this, This perishable body must put on imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. Immortal. Can't die. Not mortal. Because we share in the very body of Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul wrote in the book of Philippians chapter 2. He says, or chapter 3, he says, Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. He'll use the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Our bodies will be like Jesus' glorious body, which is immortal. And 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty three says, We are going to put on immortality. Cannot die. Because you realize that's what old age is. It's just a gradual dying. We're not even going to get old. We're going to be like his body. Which means we're going to be barely mature, just mature enough to be mature, 33 years of age. But not so mature that we start start drooping and dragging and low energy type people. It's going to be like him. It will be wonderful in the resurrection. And by the way, I know that people will say, uh, yeah, but when I die, I've got to wait a thousand years before Jesus comes back. Uh, you're not going to, when you die and go to heaven and be with Christ, you're not going to be watching the clock. Like, you know, okay, when do I get that new body and new heavens and new earth? Uh, it'll be, remember, there's no time in heaven. You're going to be there one instant and the next instant you're going to be put together with your new body. It'd be like going to sleep and then waking up. You don't have a concept of time. It's boom and then boom. Hallelujah. Are you all with me on this? I know this is like deep for some of you. But it's, it's not really. It's the glory of the resurrection body of Jesus Christ, which is what we will be fashioned into. So how, how is our condition better than... Adam before he fell. He was perfect, but he was not immortal. We are immortal. 
in the resurrection. Here's a second way. See, that's the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God can take a failure and make the success not just recovered, but improved upon. It's better because of the failure. (laughs) That's wisdom. Sheer genius on a divine level. Here's a second one. Adam was given earth in the Old Covenant, Old Testament, but not heaven. For uh, Psalm 115, verse 16, the heavens are the Lord's. The earth has he given to the children of men. That's in the Old Testament. The heavens are the Lord's. Earth is, was Adam's and his humanity. But in the New Testament, in the resurrection, we get a new heavens and a new earth. Revelation 21 and 22. New heavens and a new earth. We get both of them. We can go there. We can stay here. We can go fishing. We can go sing with angels. Whatever we want to do. Wherever we want to do it. Hallelujah! It's going to be good. And you know what? In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we actually are put in charge of the angels. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3. Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more so things pertaining to this life? You're going to be in charge of the angels up there. Adam wasn't in charge of angels. He got earth. We get heaven. Angels. You're my servants. So hallelujah. I'm kind of glad he failed. I get more. (laughs) All right, a third one very quickly. He was a son, but he was not secured in the house. He got exiled when he sinned. He was a son, but he was not secure. One sin put him out of the presence of God, out of the Garden of Eden, and alienated from worship. One sin. He was a son, but he was not secured. And you know, uh, the proof of it is Genesis 3.21. When he sinned, God made coats of skins and covered him and Eve. God had to sacrifice an animal to cover up their nakedness. Sacrifice was the proof of sin and exile. Now some, something has to die for you. But now listen to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to flip over here real quick. Hebrews chapter 10 says this. The law has, is a shadow of good things to come instead of the, of the very reality. And it can never, by the continuous sacrifices offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would have ceased to have been offered. Adam sinned. Proof. God had to make a sacrifice to cover him. And a sacrificial system was set up And you know how often they sacrificed a priest? Every morning and every night. Those sacrifices for the sins of the people. Every morning and every night. I guess you sin during the day, 
you sin during the night. <laughs> so you got to have one in the morning and one at night. But here it says, so the proof that the sacrifices couldn't take away the sin is that they kept being repeated. So then he says, this is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. Then I said, Jesus is speaking, I said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God, as it's written to me in the scroll of the book. The Greek word for book is biblios, from which we get Bible. It's written in the Bible that Jesus said, I'm coming. A body is prepared for me, Hebrews 10, 7, verse 8. You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings, according to your law. But I come to do your will. So he does away at the first to establish the second covenant. Then, verse 11, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. See that? Because that, this continued sin, continued sacrifice. But now listen to Hebrews 10, 12. But when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the Father. No more sacrifice for sins. You know what that says? Your sins have been forgiven forever. If they weren't, Look, if you sin, let's say, well, what about tomorrow if I sin? Hey, what about today if you sin? If, if God held that against you, you'd have to bring a sacrifice or Jesus would have to come and sacrifice himself again. But he sat down never to sacrifice himself again or require a sacrifice again. That means it's put away. Yesterday's sins, today's sins, tomorrow's sins. Adam was not secure. He was a son, but he was not secure. We're sons in the household forever. That's why he says, Hebrews 10, 14, by a single offering, he's perfected for all time. That's the future. He's perfected for all time. Those who are in the process of, Continual tense. In the process of being holy. But he's already perfected you forever. Hebrews 10, 14. You're secured. God your Father will never become God your judge. He will love you. He may introduce disciplines. But it'll be out of love. Not as a judgment. So the, the, the things that Adam lost, there we go. Adam was a son, but not secure. We are sons, and we have security in Jesus Christ. I, I, I close with this. Who's to say that when you die and go to heaven, you will never sin in heaven? Who would say that? Well, I'm in heaven. Are you secure in heaven because you're in heaven or because you're in Christ? Huh? That's rhetorical. You're secure because you're in Christ when you're in heaven. Satan was in heaven before he fell. 
We are secure because we're in Jesus Christ. Newsflash, you're in Jesus Christ here. And you're as secure here as you will be there because your security is not in location. It is in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. So Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, the wisdom of God displayed in the gospel, sheer, divine, infinite genius. When he is done, all oh, you'll need a million years to worship and praise because you will see what the angels just barely get a glimpse of. Let's study the gospel and have the desire the angels had. Bow with me for prayer. Father, we thank you today that you've not only loved us and shown your love in the gospel, but you've also shown to us who are the called that you are powerful beyond expression and that your wisdom and genius are on full display in the death and resurrection of the Son of God. And we stand amazed in your presence today. Amen. Amen.